You're listening to stevefogg.com podcast. Podcast. A conversation designed to help you increase your influence online and create more impact. And here's your host, Steve Fogg. Hey everyone, welcome to my latest podcast uh, where I get to interview Kem Meyer. And Kem is an absolute legend in the church communications um, side of things. And uh, I've been following Kem for a long, long time, uh, just getting so much wisdom from the insights that she brings uh, into church communications and the broader leadership space uh, in communications. And today I've got a really uh, big treat for you. I'm giving away two of Kem's books. Now, at some point in this podcast, um, you're going to hear what you need to do to be in the running to get these books. Uh, So listen up all the way through the podcast, and I hope that uh, you learn as much as I have from Kem today. She's so wise, so much experience uh, under her belt. So let's join Kem as we talk about church communications. You're listening to stevefogg.com. Hey everyone and welcome to today's podcast. My very special guest today is Kem Meyer and I've known Kem um, for gosh over 10 years and Kem describes herself as a recovering corporate spin doctor uh, who left her highfalutin job and Wall Street stock options to help lead communications at a local church. Uh, She's an outsider who's pierced the church inside a bubble and Kem says that she's a well-rounded communications perspective uh, which is rooted in strategic simplicity. now, I've known Cam for 10 years, and I know that she is an outsider advocate. And I'm so, so pleased that she can join us today. And um, I'm going to put in my show notes that Cam has a blog. And on that blog, she has a free ebook, which I highly recommend uh, you download. And because um, she's got years of experience that she shares in that book. And we're also going to talk about her book. Uh, less chaos, less noise, a little bit. Um, but before I do that, I just want to say hello to you, Cam. And I hope the kangaroos are working and doing their job and that we can um, chat okay today. I'm sure it'll be great. It's super fun to be here. <laughs> I um, So I've been reading your book, Less Chaos, Less Noise. And, um, and I just thought we could talk about one of the topics in your book where you talk about... Um, the myth of more choices, uh, the better. And, um, and you, use, you use a quote from Hans Hoffman, the ability to simplify means to eliminate the unnecessary so the necessary may speak. Tell us about that. Well, um, I, I think we all know this to be true in our own life. Like when we're out trying to make choices about our calendar or our money or our attention, uh, we know this to be true. But when we're the ones that are sending messages out, we just like throw that out the window and we assume everything we've got to say and everything we have to share has to happen all at once at the top level and that's going to help people out. And it's just not true. I think if we take a second and step out of our own 
environment and think about how we feel when we go to our kids' school and we're bombarded by every teacher and every committee, or when we go to, when we go grocery shopping and we're bombarded by every fundraising opportunity for a good cause, Um, or when somebody sends you an email and you've got to like carve out half of your day to figure out what they meant by it and what they're asking you to do because they've included so much information. None of that helps us respond better. Yep. None of that makes us feel empowered or motivated. It frustrates us. Yep. But we forget that when we're the ones sharing information because we've got such great information to share. Yes. And of course, we all think our message is the most important message that people are going to hear on that day. And on any given Sunday in church world, you know, everyone's been working, you know, for five or six days before that leading up to a Sunday and, you know, carefully crafting messages, carefully crafting music, carefully crafting a sermon, carefully crafting environments. And what we don't realize is that the average person who's you know may have a family and is having arguments on the way and listening to the radio on the way and has had breakfast and read the newspaper and they've already had 20,000 messages you know thrown at them and you know but he our you know 15 messages that we want to give on any given weekend uh, are the ones that they're going to remember And that's throughout the rest of their Sunday as well and into their week. So in terms of um, churches and on a Sunday, in a typical church, what can churches do to to kind of rise above that noise? Mm -hmm. Well, I think really it's helping, uh, like getting in there, getting in their own, uh, a new mindset. You got to play some mind games to help yourself shift gears. This doesn't come natural for me either. I am just as guilty as anyone. And it doesn't just apply to the, the information we're sharing on the weekend at church. I mean, it applies to the information we're sharing with our spouse or our kids. I mean, giving it to them all at once, sometimes like the timing's not the greatest and it's going to bounce right off of them. And so just because you are right, doesn't make it right. Mm. Timing matters. Context matters. And, um, so kind of like helping distance yourself from all the information you have. Uh, there's some mind games. So some of the mind games I like would trick myself is like re, um, uh, redefining what my job is Mm -hmm. and, and redefining the win for communications. So the win for communications, forget about all the pressure I feel from all the ministry leaders and all the volunteers and all the staff people, just forget about that for a second and really challenge myself to say, if we are successful, all of us are successful, what's the win? The win isn't that we share everything all at once. The win is that people know where to go when they have a question. They know where to find things when they're looking for it. And that we leave people with their next step or, or we help them with wayfinding. So for me, that kind of became my own personal mantra, like anything I was championing and still to this day, anything that I touch that has to do with communications, I want to help people find their way and use our communication signposts as wayfinding tools to where more information is because nobody's looking for us to dump it all on them once for them to sort through. Yep. They need help sorting through. And so do I. Yep. Um, 
I, I think a great a great way to what churches can do on the weekend is to look for examples outside the church because we're just too close to it, and uh, we're just so worked up about uh, not letting down our coworkers or our volunteers. And our job isn't to make them happy. Our job is to provide help. And sometimes helping them isn't what they're asking for. So we've got to kind of find a new win. And I know I can't see that until I get out of my own environment. So um, I'll give you one story. It's one of my favorites. Uh, A friend of mine took his only daughter to college. And so she was a freshman. And that's a big step, you know, for the for his daughter and for the parents, and you've got so many questions. He's taken, taken his daughter three hours away to college. She's going to be living, for the first time, living away from home. She's making decisions about her coursework and um, finishing school on time and financial aid and food and living arrangements and social activities, and she's got her own questions, and the parents have their own questions, and there's all kinds of psychological transitions and role shifts that, that this family's going through. So they go to this orientation at the school, and the college president stood up, and I think he set the example that we churches can follow. He said, look, I know you've all got a ton of questions, and I've got a ton of information, but I am not going to share it all with you right now. I'm just going to share what you need to know now. But I'm going to make sure, and what you need to know now is what's happening the next week. This is all that matters this next week. Beyond that, I'm going to make sure you know where to go to get any of your questions answered. Because everyone in this room may have the same questions, but they're going to pop up at different times. So I'm going to make sure you know where to find it when you have that question. And the parents, my friend, left that orientation exhaling. He was at peace. He felt respected. He felt like that school had their act together. The conversations they were having as a family when they pulled away from the campus was so much more focused, and it wasn't um, laced with anxiety or emotion because it had been broken down very, very clear. And again, that school had worked their tail off answering the frequently asked questions, pulling together all the background information. You get all the information for every school, every curriculum, every class, every professor, you know, uh, and you don't need all that at once. So I just think that's a great example for us to follow. So on a typical Sunday in a typical service, what would that look like? Um, with the pressure that we feel um, because we've got these events on which you can't miss, of course. That's always the usual kind of thing. Don't miss it because it's going to be the best thing ever and all that sort of stuff. Um, how, do, how do we create those opportunities uh, for people to take a next step uh, without kind of shutting all the announcements down? Uh-huh. Well, uh Again, if we go back to that definition of the win, that communication is a wayfinding tool. Yeah. Um, so let's use that as our anchor. The second anchor we'd be using is what are the what are the ultimate values of the church? Like, what's our strategy and what are our values? What what sets us apart? Like any family, we all have our own distinctives. You've got some families that are real intellectual. You've got some families that are real funny. You've got some families that are really active. You know, and so what are, what are the distinctives for your church that really set you apart where you solve problems for your community that nobody else solves or you provide help for families that nobody else provides 
the, um, what are the things that the church does that you can't get anywhere else? So you got to hone that in. So is it children? Is it youth? Is it small groups? And just simplifying, hey, what are the five things we do? And I don't care, like, um, if you are here at this church for one day or if you are here at this church for 20 years, what are the five things that we all have in common? Mm. Or... Even better, what are the three things you have in common? I I challenge churches all the time. I'll say, listen, what are the three things you ask anybody to do if you're part of this church family? No matter what season of life you're in, no matter if you work full time or you have kids at home or if um, if you're 65 years old or you're 16, if you're part of this church family, what are the three things you're asking everybody to do? No matter what's happening. Because there's always a slew of options. But if... Life hits hard, and you can only do three things, what would they be? Very few churches can answer that, very few. And that's the first thing we have to do, Steve. We've got to say, all right, no matter what's happening in your life, if you're part of this family, we just asked everybody, make sure you're volunteering somewhere, somehow, some way. Just make sure you're volunteering. Make sure you're gathering weekly with your church. Somehow, some way, gather for that weekly message or worship. And sometimes you may not be able to get here, so join online. But make that commitment that once a week you're gathering as a family. And then the third thing, make sure you're in some type of community with people in your church family. If it's a small group or it's a team or like whatever that is, just make sure you're in some type of community. Beyond that, it's all optional and it's all um, add-ons and it's icing on the cake and the sprinkles and the cherry. But if, if you do nothing else as a member of this church family, do these three things yep. and you're really simplifying it. So to your question, yeah. after you answer those questions, then, okay, so then you start organizing your communication around those three giant buckets yep. and start throwing stuff in those bullets. Here's serve opportunities. Here's our weekly or, you know, our corporate gathering. So whatever the weekend message, here's, here's the campuses or here's where you get it online or here's how you catch up on the series. And the third thing is here is um, the groups to get involved with or the Bible studies or resources to gather. And beyond that, if you're looking for more things, there's events online. You can sort by date or you can sort by audience. There's more available to you, but here's the, here's the starting point. Yeah. Yeah, so essentially what you're saying is don't drill down too deep. If, if you've got those three or four things that you want to speak about every single week, um, and let's take volunteering as an example. So that's especially relevant for, for me because one of the most frequent requests I get is, oh, no, we, we don't have enough volunteers. And, you know, my little internal red flag goes up straight away because I know what the next question is going to be, um, which is, can we have a video? Can we have um, some, you know, airtime on social media? Can we have, and, and the list goes on, uh, into specific uh, ministry options, in, in, even down to a specific ministry um, role, um, because it's a high need and Sunday's still coming uh, or, or midweek's still coming. And um, it's so helpful that you can just heat up the value versus the detail. Yeah, and let me tell you something else. There's two things that make this hard for churches. They don't want to do the hard work. Mm. Two things are happening. One, look, we just want to promote it because we can do it faster. Yeah. Wait, you want me to you want me to identify what those three things are? Well, we can't do it. So for now, we just because that's where the hard work comes in. So mm. churches take a shortcut 
they don't identify those three. They don't get an alignment as a church and they don't do the hard work. They make their audience do the hard work. Yep. And I see that more often than that. Yep. And then secondly, Steve, what you're talking about at the volunteering, it's no different than when we were in school. And we would like drag, we, we wouldn't put our systems or our discipline in place in our class. And when it became exam time, we are scrambling because we know our grades are coming out. We run to our teacher and we ask for extra credit work so we can get the grade up. Yeah. Well, what about the whole like nine weeks that we had before report cards were coming out? Mm. And it's the same thing is true for our ministry teams. Yeah. If we wait, like you think our audience is motivated to jump in when we're like, Look, our panic, our last-minute planning, yep. just because we're working for a good cause does not give us an excuse not to put some systems and processes in place. Yep. I've had some really great examples. Um, I, I loved um, how, and I've seen lots of different churches do it a lot of good ways, but the ones that make it the simplest are, are the ones that are most successful. And anything that you can pre-program to plan around takes away a lot of the guesswork, a lot of the last-minute. Um, so... Uh, one example is a high need for all churches that they have in common is we need we need great help in kids and student ministry. Yep. We need good people, we need dependable leaders, and we need them to show up, and we need a lot of them. Yep. Because we got a lot of kids and we got a lot of students. So we know this. We will always have a place and we will always have a need. So uh, I I don't remember who did it and when it started, but I was really impressed um, with our our kids' team. They just made an orientation every other week. It was pre-scheduled for the entire year. We had those dates predetermined, and so the, we would always promote um, how to, you know, the fun attributes of being part of the kids' team. And hey, if you're interested, every other Saturday there's an orientation meeting, and then they already had the next step. To, so you come to the orientation meeting, and you're like, yeah. I like these people. I like what they're doing, and I want to take a next step. I'm not ready to commit yet because one, the the potential volunteer still needs to check out the team, but also the team needs a chance to check out the profession or the potential volunteer. Yeah. So the next step wasn't like, great, we're signing you up. Their next step was, okay, great, you need to shadow a service, and so come next weekend and shadow ask some questions, watch it real time, we'll have a two-way thing, and then we'll figure out if you want to take the next steps and we'll get you on a schedule. And then those schedules would last six weeks and then they'd reevaluate. So nobody was locked in for life, but that was just a constant process that they could count on. And um, everything was just built around it and it was very, very simple. and I mean, and in another thing, if there's teams where they have problems getting volunteers, it's either a process problem, a product problem, or a people problem. Yeah. So if you get your process worked out, well, then it's time to look at the leadership of that team. Maybe they're not good at building teams and nurturing teams. That doesn't mean you need to kick them out. Huh. It, it may just mean you need to get them some help with somebody who is good at that. Yeah. You know, um, once you've identified that, then it may be the product. How are you talking about it? Are you acknowledging the attributes or are you just talking about, you know, what do you get out of it? Um, I'll give you one example, too, that was really great. Uh, I accidentally stumble on things. We've got got really surprise, wise insight from people who are not in communications, that don't do that for a living. We need to tap into them more often. And one time I was in an accidental meeting with this part-time uh, volunteer that was on our landscaping team. 
she was super fun. I hardly ever interacted with her. One, our schedule was different. Two, she was outside. I was inside. Um, and our work just never caused, caused our past to cross. But for some reason on this day, we ended up in the same room at the same time. And we're just having some informal conversation. And I was working on some stuff. And I said, well, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? How would you get people to join your team? And she's like, oh, that's easy. I would say, want to lose 10 pounds? Join the landscaping team. And I started laughing, and I was like, that is brilliant. She's like, no, man, I'm kidding. You are, I'm not kidding. We're moving all the time. We're hustling. I've never been in more shape than I've been in in my life. I was like, okay, that's outstanding. What else would you say? And she's like, uh, I'd probably say, want to get a suntan? Join the landscape team. Again, she thought of the benefit for the people on the team. She didn't think about, we need help. Yep. So... Really, we need to tap into people like her more often because we're so burdened about what information we need to get out. We don't always have the mind space or even the context to think about it, how it appeals to people outside, you know? So, yeah. yes. and I loved it. So think benefit. Thing. And, and also, original. I mean, that's such an original, you know, just from a message point of view, that's such an original angle even. That's not, um, you know, come and serve the Lord, be faithful and a good steward. That's that's kind of just um, fresh. It's, it's you know, you, you've got someone going, this actually happened to me. And um, so... Of course she loves her church. Of course she loves Jesus. Yeah. And she even said... If somebody joins it and they don't love Jesus when they join the team, I guarantee you they're going to love Jesus by the time they're done. And so it was. she didn't over-spiritualize it. She's like, come on, yep. let's come together for common good. Let's get some work done because sometimes that's the pathway for people. So like, let's not over-complicate it, over-spiritualize it. And you know what? We need some straight talk like that as church communicators because we try and be so creative and we try and be so spiritual and we try and be pastors. Um or preachers, preachers, yeah. with some of this information. And really, sometimes it's not like that. Yeah. We've got to drop little breadcrumbs. We've got to drop little appetizers. And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I love that. And I love the idea of process as well uh, in terms of building a process, uh, in terms of you're actually giving people more opportunities to come and check you out rather than a wait till the critical moment where we need to pull out the red flag and really give it more attention and it probably needs. Um, and um, how did you reshape that um, in terms of that expectation? Because I think that's a really good insight if you keep creating kind of regular opportunities for people to, um, to dive in. And in that case, it's a kids ministry opportunity. How do you, how do you sit down with a, a member of staff uh, that's never thought that way before uh, and craft that vision? Yeah, uh, really, it's helping them um, get out of their own situation too. And it's always with the story and relationship. You got to have relational collateral with that person, and you got to ask it ask a ton of questions and start like, you know, what, what do you want to get out of this? What's the perfect candidate? Um, what's reasonable for your training? What are you guys good at with team development? Where do you struggle? What's the ideal serve time? You know, where and I really pull a ton of information out of that leader yeah. and then say, okay, let me go back to the drawing board and see if we can tackle this a new way. Because obviously the old ways, we're still, it's a perpetual problem. Mm -hmm. And we can tackle this problem from a different direction. 
So you come back together and then you share stories. I always had stories from things that had happened outside the church, stuff that happened at my kid's school or at our summer swim team or at the local grocery store. And um, I could always come back and say, all right, I watched this happen, Mm. you know, blah, 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 blah. And it made me think I've made that mistake before. Yeah. And, And the minute you share that story, they immediately see themselves in it too. They're like, okay, yeah, I've made that mistake too. So you come back and say, can we try something different for the next three months? And then we'll evaluate it. We'll figure out what works. We'll figure out what don't work. And and at the end of that meeting, everybody walks away with some next steps because you're going to say, okay, here's what I need from you. You know, they've got to organize some schedule things or they got to pull some things together. Usually almost nine times out of 10 in those meetings, I would send a ministry leader away and and they would have the job of consolidating some things, grouping some conversations together, grouping some tasks together, simplifying what they were doing because over time it had just gotten really disjointed. And then I would always give them something I was working on, you know, and like, now we'll come back together with a plan and I would coach them too because they needed help bringing their team along because it's one thing if we get in a room and we get on the same page but they got to go back and lead change yep yep so I help equip them equip them here's your talking point here's why it's worth it remember we're just going to try it for three months yeah and always always you know what you know i believe in this i would always find a yes behind the no i would find a win like if we're taking something away i'd figure out a way to give them something back or figure out a way for them to give something back to their volunteers if something was changing and and i never ran into problems when you have that approach yeah and and it's exponentially starts to gain speed you have success with one large ministry team you move to the next and then it kind of kind of catches fire and becomes a it becomes a standard across the board. Mistakes yeah. I've made, Steve, is when I tried to make it a church-wide approach before I had gained traction with some individual ministries. Yeah. And it wasn't just I needed that emotional buy-in from people or that relational buy-in. I also needed to test drive some concepts because there's things that work on paper that don't work in real life like you anticipate it. Yeah. And you need time to tweak things with different ministries before you're ready to say, Okay, as a church, this is how we roll. Yeah. And so I'd be doing two things at once. I'd be working with ministry leaders, and then on a global scale, I'd be sketching out some proposals for senior management, you know, getting ready for that next that next tier. Does yeah. that answer your question? Yeah, 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 that's great. So essentially what you're saying is, um, and I want to circle back to a, a little gem that you just dropped there, um, is really it's it's not just mandate. Um, it, it, when you do mandate and this is how we're going to do something, uh, people tend to um, um, want to do completely the opposite. Um, so that they want the execution their way rather than the execution your way. Uh, but if you have a proof of concept uh, that, hey, we tried this with you know, the kids' ministry and it worked really, really well and, um, um, and you know, why don't we give something similar a try with your ministry? And so you're being relational rather than um, benign dictator. Um, Absolutely. You know that 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 kind of puts a whole different spin on um, getting 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 it done. It does, and and the the example, the trial. I mean, really being humble because again, there's things that look good on paper, and I would think they were foolproof. Yeah. But just because of the dynamics or the timing or the DNA of that particular team, it didn't work like I thought it would. Yeah. So I learned over time to stop saying, hey, I think this is going to work. And I would, and the examples always didn't have to come from another team or another church. 
I would say I saw this happen at my kid's school and I think it's worth a try. Yeah. Let's let's see what happens. Let's let's try it this weekend and regroup. Let's yeah. try it in two weeks and regroup. And I think mm-hmm. this could lead to some bigger changes. But instead of saying like being all cocky, because I just solve problems all the time, you yeah. know? And um I'm real decisive and I'm real definitive, even if I don't know what I'm talking about. I think I know what I'm talking about. So uh, just learning how to like surrender that and assume there was going to be some failures and wreck and preparing every ministry leader I talked to saying, I don't think it's going to work perfectly. So let's troubleshoot the areas uh, that are working or not working, and let's just refine this over the next three months. So they're not like, oh, it's a total failure. It was imperfect. Like, set expectations. That's part of the tweaking, you know? Yeah, yeah. I want to circle back to the little gem that you just mentioned, which is relationship collateral. You talked about, because I've... um, Followed this principle, and I think you shared. I can't remember where you shared it, but basically, talk about that because it's worked for me. Yeah, well, it's hard for people that are really task oriented. Um, because man, I love people. I love them. And then, but when I'm in charge of a task, people like just get in my way. Yeah. And so I can love people, or I can do a task. But doing both simultaneously is always a challenge for me. <laughs> so, again, it's those mind games. Yeah. Um, because, Steve, if there's anything you give me, you can count on me getting it done. I get stuff done, yep. you know. And uh, I had to learn that part of this is me not getting stuff done. Yeah. You know, like good leadership, uh, good teamwork, good people development good personal development for myself is to kind of split my time in half where I challenge myself to have conversations with no end game. I challenge myself to schedule meetings with no agenda other than to listen to this ministry leader and learn something new about what they were doing, creating the space, um, changing my schedule. So I would overlap with people I didn't understand. And as I got, more committed to this practice in my own life. I even went to the next level, like level two, where I started doing it with the people I liked the least. And what I started learning is I liked them the least because I understood them the least. Uh And they were the most rewarding relationships to invest in because I had all the wrong preconceived notions. I had incomplete information and my communications and our church communications were better because of it. So for me, I did two things that are very, very practical. One, when I looked at my calendar and I started scheduling my time, I made sure that for every hour I scheduled for a task to be completed, I scheduled an hour of white space for conversation where I would walk around and just like have conversations with people, learn about stuff that they're interested in, find ways to bless them with expecting nothing in return. Like literally not attaching it to any output, no deadline, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing I did, I made sure that at any given time there was always it, my most complicated relationship or the relationship where there was the most static or confusion. I worked hard to soften my heart and get to know that person um, better. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's really uncomfortable. But those two things changed everything. Yeah. And, and, and awkward as well I mean that's you know that initial stage is, is a little bit awkward because often it's through conflict or it's through disagreement that you've got to make that extra effort to um, 
really connect with with that person and you know I just don't remember which environment you shared that in, but that's helped me so much because I've well, I call it relational credit. So um, you know, it's it's going for a coffee with someone, or you accidentally bump into them in the coffee line, and um, you just buy them a coffee, or you um, spend five minutes listening to them rather than speaking, uh, or you just ask them how their ministry is going, or you ask um, how can I help them. Um, there's just so much way that we can actually invest into people that um, actually that relational credit provides you with bandwidth when it, the critical moments come. Well, and the thing is, Steve, I, I know that in my heart, but when I'm on deadline, I don't have time to talk to people. Mm. So that's why I had to start scheduling white space because the, I was perpetuating the problem by promising so much output that I left no time to be interruptible, to hang out after our staff meeting or to hang out in the coffee line because I had packed my schedule so full with deliverables, there wasn't time for that white space. But when I carved out that time, now that doesn't mean I carved out one to two and that's the only time I talk to people. What that means is I minimize the amount of production that I promise. Because I would look at my calendar and see, nope, 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 I can only do this much. And it gave me that white space. And everybody does it differently. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people can compartmentalize without scheduling that. I needed that scheduling so I would right-size my promises, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so thrilled to be able to speak to you today. And go for your book. Uh, you won't be able to see this, listeners, but I've got post-it notes all through Cam's book uh, that I want to talk to her about, and we've got through one. Um, so I'm going to have to get you back to um, start weaving our way through the rest of these post-it notes because we've literally got through one and I want to honor our time together and um, honor your time because I know where you are, it's late at night here. I'm just in the, the early morning and I just want to say thank you so much, Kim, for your time. Now, in my show notes, I'm going to put um, a link to where you can buy Kim's book but I'm also going to be giving away a couple of copies and that's going to be time sensitive. So you need to have a look in the show notes on the blog for when that finishes. Uh, There's no gimmicks. We're just giving a couple away uh, because I think it's such a good uh, resource. So uh, go to the show notes, check it out. And um, you may be one of the lucky people that gets one of Kem's books. So thank you, Kim. I really appreciate all, all what you've spoken into my life over the last 10 years or so virtually uh, across the miles. And um, I hope that we can get you back on again soon. Oh, yeah, thanks. This was my pleasure, Steve, totally. You're listening to stevefogg.com. Like I said at the start of this uh, podcast, uh, I'm giving away two of Kim's books, uh, two copies, and there are going to be uh, two winners, uh, one book obviously per person. All you need to do is leave a comment on the show notes on my blog 
on why you need this book and why it will help you do what you do. The second thing you need to do is share the show notes uh, blog link so that others can listen to this podcast too on the social media channel of your choice. And uh, the way the winners are going to be picked is by the random number generator on the internet. So it's completely um, neutral. So I hope that you get something out of today's episode and I'll see you next time.